Hey, this is Mike Fraser, and you're listening to Focus on Music. Right. As we sit down once again to explore the strange highways. Yeah. Exit four. Amazingly, on this one, we have a really cool guest I was excited about, and that's the producer, Mike Frazier. Yeah. And I was amazed you were able to get Mike Frazier. Mike Frazier, you know, the funny thing about me getting Mike is he was, I think of all the people to get, um, he was probably the easiest. Hmm. Um, came straight back. I went to the website, hit him up with an email. Yeah. And then he, he no problem wanting to come on and do it. It was just his schedule. Sure. Because I think at the time he was, um, I think he was doing the Newstead album. Uh, he was mixing that and God knows what else he was working on. Yeah. Um, so it was just scheduling. And uh, yeah, great conversation with Mike. Um, I think what you find now with Strange Highways, and I've had some people talk to me about it um the first three episodes were the three musicians that played on it mm-hmm. so they're they're very it's very strange highways oriented about sure. the album yeah and for some people i think it was a little bit overkill it was a little bit too much yeah on the one album um what you'll find now as we branch out a bit further is mike talks about strange highways but we also talk about a lot of his stuff that he did yeah. Other than that, you'd have to like Mike sure. Fraser on the show. <laughs> you know, I was I was looking at his catalogue and I was like, I want to hit him on that one. I want to talk about that one. I want to talk about yeah. that album. So, you know, the, we did speak an hour with him, but I think like probably twenty twenty five minutes was about the Dio album. Yeah. Um, and then of course you have Scott Warren coming up as well, and Scott played on some of the songs on the album, but that's more um. It's more more about Dio, the band, yeah. than that album. Right. And then, of course, the last two are, are Jerry Best and Jonathan Marshall and Frank Hart. That's just a tour. Yeah. So they, they are nothing to do with the album. Right. So that's just their experiences of it on, on the tour. Right. Uh, so it it definitely does branch out a bit right. from Strange Highway. So if people are wondering, oh, God, here we go again, are we going to talk about, you know, <laughs> you know, Hollywood Black or Give Her the Gun Again and well, we've already discussed that. It it's nothing like that at all now. It's it's a bit more general now and then it goes off into other areas, right. which which was to, to me the whole idea of doing right. the thing. And you might even because I know you kind of have something in the works that it might be one more yeah. for somebody else that's mm-hmm. in the springtime. Yes, he's touring here in March and April. Yeah. And so. he's already contacted me to say that he's willing to, to come on and you know and and talk so right. hopefully we'll have one more guy and that's and that'll also be kind of more of that expansive kind of a it's one the where tour we can talk about the tour and, yeah but then he's done a lot of other things oh as yes well, so yeah i think that'll be cool so so yeah i think it was a good progression that you had of of kind of get that core thing mm-hmm. get that nice you know history perspective from those three guys because they've all kind of had different timelines with Ronnie. Yeah. You know, where where Tracy had a very small, well, I can't really say that because he's had the longest guitar yeah. timeline, but but um, but release-wise, the smallest mm-hmm. kind of a thing there. Um, you know, along with, with Jeff, Jeff has this kind of a, a 
a before timeline that We're happened talking. and then in through there and then after that that's kind of all very well known. Mm-hmm. Tracy kind of has a a lesser known with World War Three into Dio and then kind of a lesser known after that, but still really cool stuff. And hopefully we're going to get around to having Tracy come back in and, and talk about a lot of his other things he's doing. Cause he does a lot of, he's done a lot of cool things. Yeah, he has. And even the new album that he just did is, is really cool too. So it is a good album. And then, and then you kind of have the Vinny perspective, which is kind of the, the longest running thing with Ronnie um, as far as doing things. And so it was really cool to have that. And then, yeah, Scott's perspective is a little different, you know, as the keyboard player coming in on this, but then having kind of continuing on with him afterwards as well. So that was, it was, it is cool to have all of those. And, and then Mike is that for one, the only time that it was a different producer, Yeah, you know, and then how he worked with him and stuff. So it was, it's, it was, I think a nice progression. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think we're doing it the right way. You, you you concentrate on the band, and then you just branch out from there. Yeah. Especially, well, like it's great that I can say that that we got so many people on. Like they, we actually have the opportunity of doing it that way. Yeah. Um, like the Tracy episode to me, very very, you know, heavy on strange highways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was two interviews on it. Um, you know, if you listen back to the episode, you'll find out why there was two interviews on it. You know, circumstances outside yeah. my control. But also with Tracy too, I think a lot of it was heavily into that because really he was kind of made to be the scapegoat for all the negative reaction to the album. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, well, because, you know, even Jeff said it and, and, uh, and Vinny, Vinny said, said it too. It. There were f- four or five guys playing on that album, but it all really got directed at Tracy, yeah. you know, which is really unfair. But I think that's part of why we add that so heavily with him as well, is that it's almost like he had the most invested in the album out of everybody. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, you know, Mike, hopefully we'll have him on again. Yeah, I hope um, so. Great guy to talk to. Some really good, I'm telling you now, there's some really good stories in this one. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to talk to him for longer. Yeah. And the bummer was, when I it's one of these things, and it happens in nearly every bloody interview I do for this thing. You go home and you forget to, oh, damn, I never <laughs> asked him this. And you go, because I went home and I, you know, I looked at the discography he'd done and I was like, you know, you think you're, you go down, you all right, I'll ask him about this band and this band and this band. And either you forget to ask him or the conversation goes somewhere else and you just don't get around, you know, you don't get around right, to it, even yeah. though you do, you do want to ask him. And then by the time, you know, you hit an hour mark and whatever, and it's like nah, we've touched on enough bands with him. Maybe yeah. another time we'll we'll do that. And I actually do have a band that I'd love to, you know, get into mo- talking to Mike a little bit in more detail that he's done a lot of work with. So cool. We'll uh, we'll hopefully that'll be a future episode. Yeah, I this like year. having those guys on because it was you know he was really good. Um, we had a great time talking to Bo and we had Bo on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of stories too. Um, even though then after the fact, you got some very interesting backstories I about did. those stories. Yeah, but that, which that's, was, the, that's the whole point. I yeah. said it at the time. The whole point of having these producer guys on is that over the years, all you get is the musician's perspective mm. on it. And it's nice to get the producer's yeah. perspective on it. Now, it, you know, invariably they're different. Yeah. Because um, the producer has a different agenda than the band does. Right. M- you know, more often than not. So, and of course, a lot of the time as well, so that they remember more right. as well because the band were probably here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, that's just the way it goes. You know, 
you know, that's just the life of the, the producers have, I suppose, you know, in one band, on with the next one, on with the next one, on with the next one. They can't have relationships with these guys. They have to crack the whip and get the results. So yeah. That's, that's just. Yeah. But it was, I, I, I really enjoy having guys like this on, um, getting their perspective on things and, and stuff. And it, I think it gives you a different, a different view and a different appreciation for some of the music. Yeah. Too. And there's one thing that, you know, okay, I don't know, I don't know every podcast that's out there, you know, but a lot of the metal rock podcasts that I do look at, and even like you look at, um, let's say some of the radio shows, let's say like, just say that metal show or Eddie Trunk or anything like that, like that the bigger radio yeah. shows, they hardly ever have producers on. Right. You know, it's always the musicians. Yeah. And I'm always, you know, so there is a gap there. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, I'd love, uh, we got Bo Hill on. I wanted to get Bo Hill on. I, right. like, I'd love to have Max Norman on. I'd, yeah. I'd love to have Dieter Dirks on. Yeah. You know? You, you, yeah. Like, like the one that's great is, is like Decibel Geek podcast yeah. had Michael Wagner on. Yeah. I was like, oh, the, and I uh, just like, I listened intently to every minute of that. It was yeah. just awesome. And he's, you know, he's got great stories and he's, and just, he's had a really cool life in music and it was just really cool to, and they did a great job interviewing him. Just that's like a really solid episode. If you know, go to the uh, Decibel Geek podcast and check that out because mm-hmm. I that was a great interview they did with Michael Wagner, and they're always good about that type of thing too. Getting those other guys you don't normally hear, and they've got great stories. You know, whether it's a producer like Michael Wagner or like you know Moose, the old Kiss roadie, who's also yeah. got a million I stories. Think, so it's I great stuff. Maybe, I think maybe a lot of these producers aren't hit up because. Um, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the people who do the shows think that they have a a clause in the contract saying they can't talk about yeah what happened when they were making the album. So they have a confidentiality clause. Yeah, maybe that's one of the reasons why they don't they don't get hit up. I, I'm I, I don't know. I just I'm just surprised that there's not you know more interviews out there. Sure. With, with these guys, especially on the metal podcast now, because you know you've you've all these classic albums from years and years and years ago, and um. You know these guys produced them. Yeah, like I'd love to have Martin Birch on. Come on. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> no brainer. Yeah. But, I mean, um, even I mean, I even imagine how cool it would be if they had a that metal show special, and they had for that hour they had like a round table with producers, of, of a couple of the producers. Mm-hmm. You, you know, even those guys would eat that up to like hear the stories and really. I mean, that to me would be just an absolutely incredible show. It, it wouldn't have the same star power but i think that you know so many people would tune in just to hear like stuff that they never heard before yeah you know what i mean i just i to me i would be like oh holy crap you know have you seen any of the um the classic album dvds yeah yeah, yeah the eagle the, rock stuff where, yeah. where they get the producers in and they break it down yeah fantastic yeah yeah it's fantastic. good stuff yeah um what i watched there recently as well is um you know the maiden dvds that have been out the maiden england and mm-hmm. uh what was on before that? Live after death. What they've done now is they've put the um the early years to they're breaking it up into the parts. Three, yeah, the three parts. I, I've watched yeah. the three parts and they're really well done. They've got Martin Birch on them. Yeah. And a great guy breaking down all the albums and everything, you know, all the stories and all that. And I'm like, these guys have stories for days. Yeah. You know, it's like get on get them on and talk to the yeah. guys, you know. They're that's that's what just what I think. And the and the thing is is that a lot of times they have like the whole deal that, you know, because a lot of times bands will come in and they'll do like, okay, we're going to do a scratch track and lay down drums. 
Then they'll do final drums. And then everyone's kind of gone except for the producer, the engineer, and the drummer. Yeah. You know, then they start building up. But the one guy, or there's usually two, it's the engineer and the producer, are usually there for all of it. Yeah. You know, even right through, you know, mixing, where it might only be one or two guys in the band that are actually there for the mix. But he gets the whole view of the whole thing. And, like, nobody else does. So, and he gets to kind of also sit back and watch the interplay between it as well and and decide when they want to step in and stuff too so they're they're in this really cool unique position to kind of see the whole thing yeah and the good thing about me getting mike on for the strange highways thing is that uh he did all of it i didn't have to go after anybody else yeah he produced engineered and mixed it yeah so that was great (laughs) all in one go all in one go yeah so yeah great interview with mike really nice guy so i hope everybody you know gets as much out of this interview as we did yeah um you know, that's one thing is that we do, we really like doing these and, you know, it's, and for us, it is pretty cool to be able to talk to a lot of these guys and ask them things that, that we want to ask them in. And for a lot of them, they do like kind of go, yeah, you know, can I come back on again? Yeah. Like, let's try to set something else up and stuff. It's the downside is lately we're so hit up that we can't ever get back to rescheduling some of these people that that are saying, yeah, I'll come back on, you know. But the good thing about that is that we can schedule an interview with them and get them on. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to run it for an album that's coming out in three weeks' sure. time. Now, again, we don't want what happens with the, the interview we have since <laughs> June. But, um, you know, yeah. it, it, it again, it, it's a difficult thing to balance. You know, a lot of the, we love all, we love our metal, we love all the classic stuff but we love the new stuff too. And you're trying to balance getting some of the classic stuff out there, you know, getting people on to talk about that. And then you have people coming on to talk about the new stuff and you're trying to balance the interviews that way. Yeah. And Uh, what's tough too now is is, you talk about it, but because, you know, most people that that listen to us, they like kind of more of the classical type of metal. Yeah. They're not looking for the extreme or anything. It's kind of, you know, from your priest right up through your thrash and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the last couple of years, all of that has come back. Yes, it has. So you have a huge, you know, where if we had been doing this eight years ago, there kind of would have been a dearth of, of stuff there. You'd be really kind of picking and choosing what you could do that would really fit in. Uh, but we're, there's so much of it. Like it's really, people are either bands are just coming back for the love of it and putting stuff out again or people are rediscovering bands or whatever, but it seems to be this cool renaissance again of that whole kind of style of music and doing what, what Josh from Sound of Thunder always says, you know, putting the music back in heavy metal music. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of all there and you, you just kind of see it year after year. You know, last year you look at like what Jason Newstead comes back. What does he put out? It's like, holy crap, I want more of that, please. I mean, it just seems like more and more of these guys are putting out these great things and we just keep getting like, Oh crap! We got to cover that. We got to get that. We got to get that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it is. I mean, it's a good thing. No. Yeah. No, it is a good thing. <laughs> but uh, it does, you know, make for like uh, a bit of an overload. But um, yeah. Uh, but it is good also to kind of hop off of that and talk to to guys like Mike, talks to guy like Bo. It would be awesome to get like Martin Birch on. Yeah. No chance of getting Martin. <laughs> I might get Rod Smallwood on before I get Martin Birch on. <laughs> oh. Maybe we could put a word into Joel. Maybe Joel will work on it oh. for us. <laughs> I don't think even Joel can get that. But uh, yeah, so I thank Richie for setting this up with Mike. It was it was really a privilege to talk to him. 
And um, what do you say? We shut up and roll it? No, roll it. Roll it. Holy diver with a I'm the old tape audio guy too, so I just always keep rolling. So you never know when you're gonna catch something that is usable. So <laughs> I just I just roll it. Okay, great, awesome. So obviously our thing tonight, Richie, is uh, you know started this big project for the show about really looking into the Dio Strange Highways album. And so far, everyone we've talked to, as far as been involved with the album, has been just insanely psyched about the fact that we're even talking about the album and looking back at it and all that. So. Richie's done a pretty good job of going out and getting all the different characters together that were involved in the album. And of course, you know, you being one of them. So um, that's, you know, pretty much our, our focus tonight. So if, if you're all set, we'll dive right in. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Richie, go for it. All right, Mike. Um, well, I suppose we could start like um, we'll just give a brief introduction from yourselves about like how you got into the, the production and the recording end of it. With this album in particular, or just generally? No, just in generally. When where, where did you start? Like you know, and you know. Well, um, you know, in high school, I played in sort of a little garage band and all that, and I, I learned very quickly that I wasn't going to make any money playing guitar. <laughs> uh, but I love, but I love doing music, and uh, you know, it wasn't long after that, uh, you know, I'd hear you know the first Van Halen record, and those huge. Uh, Black Sabbath fan and, you know, all these great bands. And I thought, oh, this is what I, I, I have to do, though. I have to be in music. Yeah. Um, so I got a job at a recording studio as a janitor. They didn't need, were hiring anybody, but they needed a janitor. So I said, hell yeah, that's a foot in the door. Uh, so I started as a janitor. I did that for about three months and then uh, started sort of double shifting as as a tape op uh, and an assistant with some of the jingle guys. They're were, they were all the morning guys. Mm-hmm. And right at the same time, Bob Roth was just starting to engineer. So he'd be doing all the sort of old punk bands uh, at night. So I would stay. Uh, I lived in the uh, the loading bay for a year and a half in a sleeping bag because I'd <laughs> get up do my janitor job. I'd yeah. have the day job there. And then I'd hang out with Bob until, you know, all hours of the night. And where where was morning. this, Mike? There was a studio called Little Mountain Sound oh, in okay. Vancouver here. Okay. And then uh, Little Mountain Sound, you know, Bob and I sort of became a team and with Bruce Fairburn and uh, Little Mountain Sound quickly became this big, giant, iconic rock place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just really helped all our careers. Or maybe it was, you know, we helped ourselves and, and all this great music came to it. I don't know which which way it was, but, uh, you know, we just did all this. There was a couple of years there where it was like, you know, we'd have uh, Aerosmith in one studio, Molly Crew in the other yeah. studio. And it was just the whole town was just crazy. Yeah, like that, that's the studio where uh, what Pump was done, wasn't it? And Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. So from from the other question I'd like to ask you, Mike, I'm not a, a producer or anything like that at all, right? Now you produce, engineer, and mix albums. 
Can you just tell me what what's the difference between the three of them, and have their roles changed over the years at all with the with technology, you know, right, becoming right. better? Well, really, sort of. Um, a recording engineer is just that. He's a guy. He's the technical end that learn, you know learns how to run all the the microphones and the and the, uh, the boards and everything, and and he tries and captures the music yeah. on the tape. Mm-hmm. Um, a mixing engineer is the guy once it's all been captured on the tape or Pro Tools or you know, whatever format you are now. Okay. Um, and he balances all those tracks into the two-track version that everybody buys. Okay. So that's the mix engineer. Okay. Producer, there's very there's a lot of different hats a producer wears, but basically he's the he's the go between. He's the guy the band hires to try and help them capture what they think is in their head yeah. <laughs> and make it into an album that, that they and everybody else loves. So a lot of times, and I would say, you know, and even maybe as 90% of the times, uh, a good producer needs to be a, a good writer as well. You know, yeah. maybe not co-write and, and write the whole record with the band, but at least be able to give them musical direction. And, you know, why don't you change this chord structure? Why don't you, Etc. 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 So I am not that kind of producer. So, so I don't often produce. Um, when I do produce, it'll be with bands that, that have usually got it pretty much together. They know what they want. Mm-hmm. As in, like, uh, say, Joe Satriani. So him and I work a lot together, mm-hmm. and uh, I co-produce with him because for him, I'm quite valuable in in being like his third head. <laughs> you know. So when he's having trouble with deciding between a couple of different ways of going or whatever, I always give him a very honest, straightforward answer, and, and him and I have quite similar tastes. And I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm not just a, you know, guitar player wannabe. Yeah. I'm just a huge Betterani fan. So I'll tell him when I say, oh, no, that's great. Oh, Joe, I'd love that. So he knows that his fans are doing it. So in terms of production, we work really good like that okay that's always one of the things that when i work with bands is it always works best when i'm kind of really into the band or like what they're doing or kind of have some enthusiasm for it because you just kind of try to get into their headspace as well it always seems to go better than uh, there was like a time back in like the late 90s where i was getting a lot of um mix work from like rap groups and i'm like i'm just like so not into rap but i yeah. did like i did like one mix one time and this guy was just totally ecstatic with what I did. And the next thing you know, he told his friends and they kept telling friend after friend. The next thing you know, oh, all this no. all this rap work. And I was just like, I want to get back to guitars and all of this. And, <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that's where the fun is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It's, and, and as a mix engineer, you can mix stuff. I, I don't prefer it, but you can mix stuff that you hate. Yeah. It's about getting it sonically rocking and making those, those guys smile yeah. uh, as a producer i don't think you can ever work with a band just for the money i mean i know there's guys that do but i don't know how you can do that because you, you're such an integral part of of capturing that record you know if you don't like it yeah you know what are you trying to capture that? yeah <laughs> definitely but you i mean definitely that you you know you being up at little mountain i mean that's definitely one of those you know right place right time because it seemed like that there was that period yeah. of time where it was like the steady stream of la to to vancouver non-stop yeah 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 it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> and then and then it was funny it was like uh, right in the beginning of the 90s there it's like it was this huge big landslide and then it all slid to seattle yeah and 
You know, <laughs> like, you never record in Vancouver. Oh, that's the most uncool place to be. At, le- at least Seattle is not too far from Vancouver. <laughs> no, no, it's on the road, but you know, it's just. It just feels like a long way. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, we got you on here to talk about um, uh, Dio's Strange Highways album. And uh, mm-hmm. did you have a relationship with Ronnie at all before you, you were asked to produce that album? No, I hadn't. Um, and I believe Wendy at the time probably got a hold of my manager. I mean, we're rattling way back here in the brain cells. So, yeah. God forgive me. No, it's okay. Uh, you know, I'm just sort of trying to remember as we go along here. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe Wendy <clears throat> reached out to my manager and set up a meeting with Ronnie and I just to, you know, see how we all got along and, and all that. And I remember thinking at the time, I was, I was really surprised he was looking for me to produce it because, as I say, I'm not really a producer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think up to that point, I, I can't even remember if I've even produced a record, might have co-produced a a Poison record or something with Fairburn. But you did the Coverdale Page album, didn't you, around the same time you co-produced that? Was that about the same time or was that... It's the same... Oh, well, only... maybe that was just before. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But was mm-hmm. was there one album you can remember being on that Ronnie said, that's why I want you to, to do this one? Or was it just your whole body of work? Do you remember any particular album? You know, I don't remember that part of the conversation. That was probably between Wendy and... Um, and Ronnie. Uh, and my manager. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but when Ronnie and I met up, it was just sort of to vibe each other out. And okay. See what we're into. And, and I got to tell you what, a sweetheart that, that man was. Yeah. You know, rest in peace, rest in peace. But uh, wow, him and I just clicked right away. And, yeah. Uh, yep. I got quite excited about doing this record. Um, <clears throat> and I know, you know, and Ronnie's a sweetheart. And I don't, I, I never really got to know him that well other than, our whole, you know, time doing the record, uh, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we didn't hang out much afterwards, after work or, or after the record was done or anything. But um, it seemed to me that he was at, at a pretty angry part in his life, uh, and I would say angry for Ronnie, <laughs> you know, because yeah. he's always pretty up and, and a happy guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it was the the Sabbath, you know, reunion thing or the this or the that or, or I don't know what was going on or it was just something he wanted to, he was just going through but, he, you know, it just seemed to be sort of a, yeah. you know, an it wanted to tell things off Yeah, well, part of his life, you know. W- when you heard the material that they, they had for that album mm-hmm. first, yeah. what yeah. was your first impressions like? Because it doesn't sound anything like traditional Dio, a lot of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, again, my head was kind of spinning as because, you know, one, uh, I had never done a metal record before that. Mm-hmm. Two, I hadn't really produced anything, and now I've got this metal god wants me to help co-produce his record. So it was a bit uh, funny for me. So again, you know, I just go in there and do what I what I'm hearing. So, you know, that might have helped pull it out of the traditional metal uh sound or whatever. You know yeah. I mean you got you got Vinny on drums. I mean, holy smokes. <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh you know, everything is just so awesome. So uh and, you know, back in those days that's all tape. <laughs> yeah. True. You know, there's, there's no there's no editing or pro tooling or all that stuff. So yeah. You know, uh, those guys are monsters. Thank you! You guys pushing for another song? 
Yeah, so did you um did you pick the studio that you were gonna record it in? 
because it was done in Los Angeles? Uh, no, I think that was Ronnie. Um, okay. I can't remember if they picked it because of the, the deal or uh, he had worked there previously or for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but it was done at a place called Rumbo. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, I believe, the Captain and Tennille's place. I think, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think there's a little vocal booth, and you had to take a step down into it, and it was only, uh, I don't want to say two feet by two feet. It was, it was just, it's just a little booth, so you'd step down into it, and right where the microphone was, was the captain's wheel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so... Yeah. So did you go down and like you had to look up, up the studio, have a look around, make sure everything was okay? Did you do much of that beforehand, or no? You kind of just, just knew. And, hey, you knew what was go. there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, they had, they had some good gear, and yeah. you know, the thing for me is is the drum room and the drum sound. But you know, you can't really tell until you get things set up. So okay. We said, look, let's just go for it. Okay. You know, we'll make we'll make this happen. You know, you can get a little bit too precious about no, the drums have to be done in this room, and we have to do the guitars over at this studio, and you know, yeah, yeah, get pretty precious about that. And it's like, look, let's let's just get on with it, and make a record. <laughs> like the, the classic Cleveland <laughs> Mac quote, right about the fact that it took two weeks to find a comfortable chair when they recorded rumors. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so um, from what I remember, we just you know loaded in, um, you know spent a couple hours getting some uh, sounds on Benny. You know he's such a monster and such a great hitter and player. It's pretty easy to get a good sound on him. Yeah, and uh, and Jeff, and then uh, uh, Tracy G. I think we played like I think everybody played live, and then we went back, and I know we did add more rhythm tracks and obviously as Tracy solos and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember doing a whole lot of overdubbing on this record. So there, there wasn't much pre-production done at all on this? No, no, none that, that I would have done with them. Okay. Uh, we might have done some people with a band, but uh, no, we just all sort of head into the studio. Okay. And, you know, I mean, it was a co-production with Ronnie, so, you know, Ronnie had in his mind what he wanted in the record and I guess you know, again, I'm um, his third head or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, there wasn't, between Ronnie and I, there wasn't much discussion on, you know, what direction do you think this sound should go or this song should go? You know, yeah. You already, you already kind of knew. Yeah. Did, did Ronnie ever explain to you why he didn't produce that record? Because he'd produced all the ones before that. No, I don't think we ever had that... Uh, <clears throat> that conversation okay um do you think maybe it was the the fact that this one was going to sound markedly different and maybe he felt that you know it's kind of a, a different direction and maybe he needed to have like that kind of that third head like you said just to kind of be able to keep him on course or make sure he doesn't go too far off and he was maybe counting on you to go well maybe this is you know this shouldn't go this way or whatever. Maybe he just kind of needed to have that kind of checks and balance. Well, I think you're right. I think maybe he got me in there and, and this wasn't discussed, but I think he got me in there to pull it into that more classic sound and pull it away from the metal sound. And maybe that was his experiment with himself. Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why I was asked to co-produce it, you know, and because, you know, he probably knows himself after his own devices he's going to gravitate back to what he knows and what he's comfortable with, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So we had a we had a sit down with uh, with Jeff Pilson a few weeks back, and of course, the minute we mentioned your name, Jeff just lit up, and he was like, "Oh my God, Mike!" And he was uh, just he was even happy just to even hear your name and stuff. And um, yeah. <laughs> cool. and what was your uh, what was your recollection of of working with Jeff? Oh, just a solid solid bass player. You know, I mean, you know, just the backing track with him and Danny playing together. Uh, like I said, I don't even remember doing an overdub. Usually what you do is you'd go through and get the best take of the, the best drum take of the song, and then you'd go back and replace everything else. And I don't have any recollection of doing that with these guys. You know, it's just, you know, he's such a, a, a great, solid, and a, and a happy guy. Yeah. You know, always got a smile on his face and always up. And, and that really helps, <clears throat> especially doing heavy music in a studio, because sometimes the subjects are just so dark and it's just, so heavy and you're just always getting beaten up and beaten up that you, you in between work time you want to stay light and happy yeah. <laughs> yeah. in a way you know yeah, it's, it's funny true. you know I mean, some of some, as the years go by and I've met some you know the real heavy metal guys and, and all that and and uh, it's funny you go go see their show and you go backstage there to meet them or whatever and they're all sitting there having stripping tea and they're oh all right, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're all such happy people. And then they get out on stage and they're, and I think what it is, is is they're getting their own therapy. They're getting their, their shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's they're, definitely they're no longer angry. They get their anger out. <laughs> Afterwards, they're like, Oh, you're the same age. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely got to be that. I can remember when you know when I was playing out, and then there'd be times when you know have like a girlfriend be going, "You have a show coming up soon, right? Because you really need to get out and play soon, because you're gonna you're gonna kill somebody." So yeah, it is very cathartic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I love playing with Jeff, and uh, you know, I don't think I don't think Jeff and I have ever worked together since. <laughs> Yeah, he was. That's kind of what he was saying too. It was like, oh, he was trying to remember like the last time he talked to you and everything. But he was, yeah. Just as soon as we mentioned your name, he, he's. I mean, he's already. You know, like you said, he's a very happy person. But he just like went to this whole new level and just became a like even more animated Jeff than he was a minute ago. <laughs> right yeah. on. Yeah, we, we yeah. had. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we had Tracy on as well. And when I when I emailed Tracy to say that we'd got you to come on the show. He was. Yeah, he emailed yeah. me back saying he was thrilled. You know, it was. He said it was fantastic working with you. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Well, you know, after that record came out, and I got to admit, I didn't follow a lot of the sort of magazines in the day and that, but I know there's quite the the controversy yeah. popped up, I guess, with the fans over whether they liked Tracy on that record or didn't like him, and I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> this guy's an amazing player, heavy, heavy riffs, and. Mm -hmm. And some great leads. So I, I don't even know where the, where the controversy came from. You know. Well, when we spoke to Jeff, Jeff was uh, he said like he didn't shred as much maybe as Vivian Campbell did and some of the older guitar players. But it's not that he he couldn't. He he obviously could. It's just that some of the fans wanted him to shred in every song, and I think that's. Um, that's where the controversy came for a lot of it, I think. Mm -hmm. you know, because and he, because this, this record was maybe less metal and more rock, <clears throat> there's mm. less shred to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I listened to it, and it just it does sound like a band. And even when we talked to to Jeff, he was like, "Yeah, we were just it was kind of a we got together, and it just it just gelled. We were just really just 
going and jamming out these songs and creating. And Ronnie was kind of sitting off to the side, listening, you know, reading a newspaper, keeping half an ear cocked to what we were doing. And it, it's, you know, it kind of comes through in the in the album too that it's really a band. And maybe part of that too comes back to what you said about not remembering having done many overdubs. So you're really getting a, kind of a working band together in the studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's important to get all those personalities that work together well. You know, yeah. When you when it's going for that, because you know, it's not like one guy's coming in at noon and the other guy's coming in at four and all that. We'd all be there together and and doing it all together. So yeah. So so how t- how tough was it when when you're recording Ronnie? Because Ronnie is a fa- you know we all know he, he was a fantastic singer. Like how hard on yeah. himself is he? Because you're probably thinking, well, I I don't know. I'm just maybe putting words in your mouth, but you know, it one take, two take, and they both sound fantastic. And he's like, oh no, we have to do another one. That's not good enough. What, what was he like in the studio? How was he very very hard on himself? Or well, singers are always hard on themselves. They never like what they do, or you know, first off, so they're always beating themselves up. Yeah. Um, I know what I would generally do and probably did with Ronnie is, is do, you know, three to five takes and then say, Hey, let me do the, put together the best of these takes. And then we play a game called beat the comp. So, you know, uh, he gets a chance to sing it again. And if he hates the whole thing, okay, then sing the whole thing again. Or if you, if you want a, another couple of verses, Hey, well, let's do the verse. Um, but I think it would, with Ronnie, it sort of depended on some songs. I think some songs went down easier. Mm-hmm. He had maybe <clears throat> written or, li- or lived with it a little bit longer than some of the others. And then some of the others, you know, it was, it was almost like pulling teeth. And, you know, it's like he could sing it. But when when you're not really sure what you're wanting to sing yet, you can't put your heart behind it. Yeah. So then it never sounds good. So. Uh, I think there's at least one or two songs on that record that uh, was a bit like pulling teeth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go, go to at the end of every night and say, okay, let's throw this one up again. Okay. Uh, do we have to? <laughs> Come on, let's, let's do another pass on it and see what comes up. And, yeah. you know, the day that we finally got <laughs> got to take it, it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so do, do you remember some long hours or was it pretty easy to record overall? Um, no, it's pretty, you know, pretty normal hours. Uh yeah. You know, it's, it's, it wouldn't be more than a 14-hour day, so, okay. you know, pretty pretty easy stuff. I don't, I don't remember beating ourselves up over it, you know. Yeah, do you, do you remember um, Rob Cavallo or anyone else in the record company ever coming down at all to say anything? Nope. Nothing at nope. all? Okay. No, no, it was just us. Just the audit. There's never any label, no, never any label involvement. Okay, so that's... Well, we're doing that. it anyways, you know. Okay. But uh, just remember, uh, you know... That's the beginning of my love affair with uh, Ronnie James Dio, and uh, I'm sure miss that guy. Yeah, and yeah, we all do. Yeah, we all absolutely. do. That's one of the reasons we're doing this, this album. Yeah, great. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I, I did a couple searches around for it just before you guys called, just you know, kind of trying to refresh my memory. And yeah, and it's funny all the sites of people that said you know back in '93 when it came out, they uh, you know took a few listens. I wasn't sure. But boy, I tell you, everybody's almost saying like it's one of his better records now. I think it's out of yeah. print. It is. It's yeah. out, it's actually. You think like it's out of print? I, I think a lot of people what they do is they lump Strange Highways in with the, the one he did after that, Angry Machines, which even Ronnie yeah. didn't like. Yeah. And you know yeah, they, yeah. They, they they compare they say they're both the same, but Strange Highways to me is 
you know, a fantastic yeah, album. Yeah. But it would be funny. I mean, you you talk about you going and do the search, and you you have to kind of like try to date those posts, right? How many of them were done like after Ronnie died, and how many were done before Ronnie died? To you know, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yes. Yeah. But you know, I remember I remember at the time when it did come out, you know, it didn't really seem to catch on. I was thinking. Yeah, you know. I think it was. Um, I think it was the time it came out. It was '93. It was probably like grunge, yeah. grunge was in over here, and you know, they weren't really promoting the the metal as much as they used to. Well, years beforehand. you know, like I say, right around that time, everything slid to Seattle and started doing these grunge or alt music or whatever they're calling yeah. it back then. Yeah. And anything that had anything else to it just kind of took a backseat, didn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Now, the other the other question I want to ask you, Mike, you, you did, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, you did the Coverdale Page album around the same time as this one. So you were working with David Coverdale and, and Ronnie James Dio. Mm-hmm. Were, what, was there comparisons in the way they, they, they approached singing in the studio? And was there any differences in the way they did it as well, if, if, you, if, if you know what I mean? Uh, in, yeah, no, yeah, I would think two completely different styles. Okay. You know, David, David Scott, he wants this... Uh, Sort of more warm singing, crooning kind of voice. Mm-hmm. Or Ronnie's a Ronnie's a you know come and get ya. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie just goes, guy. Ronnie just goes in and belts it out. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Ronnie was definitely a belter. Okay. It's so kind of also interesting too that you did that. So you do the Dio album and you co co produce them with Ronnie and you do Coverdale Page and of course you know a lot of people forget but you. Know, of course, I'm sure you knew it was you know Paige is basically Mr. Producer as well too. So you almost had to doing this whole thing of artists that are also known to produce all their stuff. Was it the same kind of a good relationship with uh, with Jimmy as you had with Ronnie as far as co-production goes? Uh, yeah, well, you know, probably a lot more intimidating uh, with me with Jimmy because mm-hmm. he is such a great producer. So well, what does he want me to co-produce? <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, and then then what do I tell him? About his guitar playing, right. yeah, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. People always ask me about that, like, like what's you know one of the, one of the toughest things about producing, and and I'll be, it's when you've got someone who's doing something so incredible, like on guitar, right behind you, and you have to turn around and tell them, no, that's not quite doing it for me. And at the same time, your mind is just going, oh my god, I can't believe I just heard him do that. That's so, right. I yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, for me, it was actually probably, easy, uh, even though it was more intimidating, it was easier uh, with Jimmy because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he knew exactly kind of what he wanted. And I was there to really free up part of his production brain so he could be a guitar player guy or that. And he didn't have to worry about drum sounds and this. And then all he had to worry about was the song structure and the production of it, mm-hmm. you know. So, so that was how. So I was a little more confused with Ronnie because. I wasn't sure what he wanted from me. We never discussed that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's now in hindsight that I'm realizing, you know, what he was looking for and what it was was, was a collaborator to try and create a different, you know, genre of his music. Right. You know, yeah. A little less metal, little sort of rock crossover thing. And, you know, so cool. <laughs> Good experiment. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that is interesting too, because that is, that kind of does mirror kind of like what Pagey would do, like with Zeppelin too, right? Where a lot of times it was the engineer who would kind of concentrate on things like drums and that kind of that whole general stuff. And Jimmy would kind of go on the production end of the songwriting and the guitar sound. So it's, yeah, it seems like yeah. his, his style to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Definitely cool. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. obviously, you're still keeping very, very busy. And um, I know we just a few weeks ago we did a review of the Unstoppable Momentum album. Um, I'm a huge Satch fan. Richie is yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of that was like an extra thing for me. Is it was uh, you know be talking to, to Joe's producer as well, which was which is pretty cool. So I mean, what's it like working with Joe? Is it you know pretty laid back? You know, again, he's he's such a great guy, and um, and I think we've I can't remember if this is the fourth or fifth studio album we've done together now, but um, uh, I think Joe keeps coming back because I remember one of the first records uh, was in Crystal Planet, uh, or maybe it was I can't remember. Um, you know, he had done this this fantastic solo, and he goes, oh. Ugh. Erase that. Let's do another one. I'm like, are you kidding? But I'm not going over that one. That was great. And he goes, oh, let me listen back to it again. He goes, he listened back. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's really good. He says, but I can't possibly use it. And I said, well, why? He says, well, you can't play that um, that kind of structure over the the mixolydian mode that I'm in. He says, my fans slay me. And I says. Well, I don't get like nothing sounds like it's wrong or out of tune or whatever. He goes, no, it won't be out of tune. It's just that run is not in that structure. And I'm like, you oh, mathematicians, I don't get you guys. <laughs> so I'm at to argue, argue, and argue. Like we managed to keep solo in there. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of opened his eyes to to not be so narrow minded as to, yeah, I mean, your fans don't give a shit. And he says, well, some of them will because they're you know they're guitar players and all that. But I said. 
yeah, but Joe, it sounds awesome. Who cares if it's not mathematically right? Yeah, it's, it's funny because you know we're we're just outside of Boston, and obviously we have Berkeley here. And so whenever oh, Joe yeah. plays in town, and I've actually seen him play at the Berkeley Performance Center before too. And you can always tell this cool. like this audience of just regular general Satch fans, and then you have all the guys from Berkeley. And you can tell because they're all standing there, arms crossed, intent on what he's doing, and just probably critiquing every particular thing he's doing. So I know where he's coming from with the whole idea of, oh no, wrong mode to do that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, one thing, is, since I've got you here, is um, on Unstoppable Momentum, he brought in, you know, Vinny instead of Jeff. And I, mm-hmm. I felt with this album that I think a lot of Vinny's character seems to have come out in this album and kind of changed the overall feel of the album. And I mean, did you sense like a big difference between working with Jeff Campitelli and then working with Vinny on this one? Did it really kind of well, that was, that was a big uh, Joe and I actually had talked about this before uh, making this move to this record. And, you know, he was getting ready to do another studio record. And, and, you know, one thing with Joe and being an instrumental artist, it's really tough to keep reinventing yourself. You know, he's really good at at getting different guitar tones and creating little different characters and moments with them. But to keep creating yourself each record, you know, is this going to be electronic record? Is this going to be straight rock? Is this going to be the, you know, so it's really hard to, um, <clears throat> get to the point where he sort of depends on the band. Well, so we're talking about, he says, you know, you know, Jeff is an amazing, uh, uh drummer and, and one of Joe's best friends and all that. But what ends up happening is Joe just starts feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And doesn't doesn't stretch stretch himself out there, mm-hmm. and uh, he had so much fun working with Chad and, and that on in Chickenfoot and just being the guitar player. He says, "I want to get back to that feeling again, and I want a band that that really pushes me and and makes me reach out there, but not necessarily in that sort of jazz kind of way and safe, nice." groovy way you know yeah, yeah but he says i can't he says as soon as chad and i team up again to do the record it's gonna be chicken foot no matter who else is playing and what's being played on it so he says you know i can't get chad again so uh i don't remember where Vinny's name had popped up and uh and and chris uh bass player and uh but he said hey well let's get this team in there and let's see what, see what that works like and you know, it was magic so as we're tracking it you know Joe and I were saying and we're going for it but we're saying it was really happening was each member of the band was adding their own personality to the song instead of just playing off a music chart or something you know yeah that's what and came through on the album too as I said that it, it seemed like this was yeah. one of the first Satriani albums where it seemed like Everybody Brian kind of brought something to the table, and that Joe just let him do it. Well, exactly, and and that's where Joe sometimes has his trouble letting that stuff go. Mm. You know, he's always got sort of some preconceived things, and and not that we would argue about it or anything, but we definitely talked about it on this one and saying, look, this is really important that we, and you know, he'd come in at the end of the take and I go, oh, that was great, We're keeping that one. And he let me listen, and and most of the time we all all of us were in the degree. Oh yeah, that was the take. Sometimes Joe had to agonize over it because it was so different than than what he sort of envisioned the song. He goes, okay, well if this is the take, then I'm gonna have to change my guitar parts. I said, no, you're not, Joe. <laughs> but the same thing, you know. So there'd be some moments like that, and and I think Joe was ecstatic how it turned out because he really had to kind of 
uh, you know, really remove his uh, control cap on, on this one. Yeah. And uh, he's always wanted to do that and never completely done it. And on this record, he was able to do it, and it feels so empowering to him. And how it gave him new life, you know. Mm, yeah. You know, he's out there playing, playing the crap out of the record right now, and and just saying every show is just so much fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see him in, in uh, September in Boston, so I'm definitely looking oh, right forward on. to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he's playing here in October, so. Okay. But let me, yeah, give me a review. <laughs> let me what you think. <laughs> I think it'll be okay, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, um, you know, back to Dio, do you, do you, like, do you remember any kind of like, you know, funny stories at all with the studio? Anything that was that really stuck in your mind is like something that it's always been like, oh God, I can't remember that. You know, that that happened that day and stuff. Or Well, you know, one thing that sticks in my mind is, um, you know, Ronnie was telling us about, you know, back in the in the old uh, some of the older album days, and they're over in I can't even remember what studio they'd be at, uh, whether it was in England or over in Europe somewhere or whatever. Did you ever did you ever hear a story of you know he used to be able to do uh, with the crystal glass thing, sort of like a Ouija thing? No. no. You ever hear the story? Oh, okay. No. And you know, I don't remember all of it, but the the basic gist of it is. You know, after working all night or something, they'd be at some residential studio. And after working all night, and maybe had a couple beers or something, they're all sitting around the kitchen table. <clears throat> and says, oh, Ronnie, Ronnie, get it, do your crystal glass things. Oh, okay. But basically, you get out this crystal glass. I don't remember if they all try and get a finger on it or something. And But basically, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, spirits of the world, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, and they'd start asking questions, you know. And the glass had sort of moved itself around the table or whatever it was. I went in this place and started asking something, and and I don't know what went on, and this thing went crazy, and and uh, it started getting sort of quite violent, and and it spelled out "I am ball," you know, B A A L, whatever that is. Yeah. And then the glass went zipping off the table and smashed and wall or whatever and they were like holy shit that was wall okay so they all went to bed well the next morning none of the gear would work or they'd be in record mode and all of a sudden the tape machine would stop or all of a sudden it would start off on its own and start recording backwards and all this weird stuff and they're like holy shit so he says they, they shut shut the session down and said, that's it we're not dealing with any of this crap so I went back home for a couple of weeks and then uh uh, you know, took a couple of weeks off or something, and then went into some studio to, you know, finish off the record or something, and and everything's going along great, and then this and that, and one night said, "Hey, Ronnie, let's do that uh, crystal wall, you know, crystal uh, glass thing." And so I think, oh, I don't know if it happened last. Oh, come on, you know, what's going to happen? So <laughs> get up the crystal glass thing, and the first thing the glass goes is, "Hi, Ronnie, I am Ball." <laughs> <laughs> they said they locked the glass up from the cupboard and that was the end of it <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Richie Blackmore taught him that <laughs> yeah 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 wow <laughs> I don't know <clears throat> that's like that sounds like something that would have happened in uh, the studio with Merciful Fate or something but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so Mike is, is there any album you've worked on that you thought once you'd, 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 you'd finish recording it and it was out there that this band are going to be huge and it just never happened. Yes, unfortunately there's a few of those. <laughs> I, well, I, I have one, but I want to see if you, if you, if you give the same name. So, yeah, yeah. Well, ahead. for me, for me back in the day, it was um, a band called the Dan Reed Network. Oh, yeah, that's one. Album. I love them. 
<laughs> yeah, their first album. And Bill Graham was managing them there mm-hmm. on the, and it was Polygram, which was at the time a huge label. Yeah. Um, you know, Aaron Bruce Fairburn produced it. You know, everything had lined up for this record. The songs were fantastic. It was really different, you know. Yeah. Uh, funky, but rocky and all That's that. That's the one, uh, Ritual is on that, isn't it? And Get To You. Yeah, and, Ritual yeah, yeah. and Get You and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it came out and, <clears throat> you know, of course, Bill died, uh, I can't remember, shortly after. Um, and the A&R guy from the label left just as the record was coming out. You know, there's all these things that happen. Yeah. But I just never really caught on fan-wise, but everybody I talked to that's heard the record said, oh, that's got to be one of the best records I've ever heard of. But it never really, never really caught on. And I think it was a little bit, just a touch too early for its time. It sort of fell on the crack. And then right after that, like, Living Color came out yeah. and blew up. You know, so I think they were either just a bit ahead of their time or something was up with it. But that's that would be one record I was really disappointed in. Yeah, um, the one I was going to say was um, the band Thunder. But, you know, they've done well. They've done well in the UK and Europe. You know, they just never caught on over here. Yeah, you see, but I'm from Ireland, you see, so I would have grown up with, with them. They were always big in Kerrang! magazine and all that. But over in America, they never they never caught on. And they had, like, Luke Morley was a fantastic guitar player and songwriter. And in, in Danny Bowes, they had, an like, an incredible singer. And it just, oh, I, I think, know. I think they made, you know, the first couple of albums are are classics like the the one you did i think was their third album and um yeah, Back, Backstreet Symphony or yeah and um laughing yeah. on judgment day and you did um yeah. was it behind closed doors you did the third one and i, I think yeah, I, were, I did 
Yeah, I, I think they were just a little bit late. You know, if yeah. they had been a couple of years, yeah. and they, the, the, only, the, other, the other thing as well was they were English, they weren't American. I think if they were an American band, they would have been huge over here. Yeah, so yeah, that was so that was the, that was Danny. Danny's like the uh, you know the Paul Rogers of the UK. Or yeah, whatever, like, yeah, know. exactly. He's he's a great singer. Such a such a great sounding voice, powerful and yeah. This, and, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. They still play shows because um, Def Leppard and Journey played dates in England this year and Thunder yeah. Thunder opened for them. So they still played yeah. shows every now and again. But uh, as far as recording and and I don't think they've recorded for for a few years. No, well, they might have done a few live things. I'm still kind of in touch with the guys. And, yeah, I think Danny... You know, Luke's got his own band going on right now. And I yeah. think Danny, I don't even think he sings anymore. I know he got into management for yeah. a while there. I think Luke is a band called Union. Uh, Union, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think they're getting favorable review, reviews as well. But that's the other one. Yeah. That's the other. That's yeah. the band I was thinking now that you, you might say that, you know, might... Right. You know, to me, anyway, they're the band that sticks out. That I thought they would have yeah, been huge, yeah. and, and they never. Really I know it's a shame. Sometimes you get a couple of those come through, and you just can't understand why that happened. And, you, and you'll do something else that you think is the biggest piece of crap, and it ends up being, you know, the biggest success of your career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, now you you did work on the new Newstead album, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So what, that one. what can you tell us about that now? Yeah, that's that's going to be good. I, I'm really happy with that one. Um, uh, again, I just mixed it, so mm-hmm. you know, Jason and I was sort of talk uh, through email and whatnot, and and uh, you know, he had me do it because of the, the association with you know his happy days with the uh, Metallica guys is. You know, most of us Vancouver doing that record with Bob Bob and yeah. a bunch of editors and all that. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to try and sort of get Vancouver people to do it. So uh, um, there's a guy named uh, Gordini Shran, I think his last name is. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> ended up producing it. Let me just look it up, see if I can get us. Yeah. Gordini Shran, S-R-A-N. Yeah. Uh, produced it with him. And so he was one of the editors and all the Metallica stuff. So... Um, so when they hooked him up and uh and uh so when they're finished doing it, uh, Jason was asking as well, you know, who'd you want to mix and phrase? Of course he's all good. I was hoping you're gonna say that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he ended up mixing it and yeah, I think it's I think it's really, really good. Yeah. I like it a lot. Now had you kept in contact at all with Jason? Because he basically went off the map for over ten years. Had you kept in touch with him uh, at all? You know what? I I had not up until we started doing this record, and then since we've been finished, uh, he's been on the road pretty steady. So I haven't, I haven't actually talked to him even since we finished the record. But, yeah, he's uh, on he's on Gigantor, I think with Megadeth at the minute. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what w- what are you working on now, Mike? What have we what have we got looking forward? Well, right now I'm working on my health. <laughs> 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 I've, I've kind of cleared everything out. Uh, once I had to go to the hospital there, and I'm not planning on doing anything until maybe September or October. Okay, okay. Just trying to get, kind of get my health back. But sure. Uh, but there's a band out of New York called, um, oh, there's a different weird spelling to it, but like, uh, and never mind, or something like that. Um, but they're the old Glassjaw boys. Okay. A couple of guys in Glassjaw kind of put together. So I'm going to mix a two or three songs for them coming up in September. And uh, let's see, I forget what else. I've got a couple other kind of cool things coming up. Okay. 
that uh, have managed to push back. But uh, yeah, and uh, you know, just so happens we've happened to have a really nice summer for a change here in Vancouver. So Good. it's kind of been a nice time to just screw it. I'm not going into that studio today. <laughs> <laughs> take, take a well-deserved break. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, thanks for um, you know making the. Uh, time adjustments and no no problem. Really no, no problem at all mike no problem at all yeah we're just glad yeah. to, we're just glad you said yes yeah there's definitely guys <laughs> out there that if we get a chance to talk to them we're just we're gonna do whatever we need to do and, and you definitely rank up there with that oh, yeah it's just oh well anytime yeah. at all just, yeah. you know you got my number and mm-hmm. anytime you want to chat i'm around cool. cool um you gonna be talking or have you talked to Vinny? yeah no we we've talked to tracy jeff but I think right. I think Neil and Vinnie Down might be uh, is proven a little bit more difficult because he's playing here, there, and everywhere. He's got this um, last in line thing coming up with uh, with Vivian Campbell and Jimmy Bain and Claude Schnell. It, they're playing the first songs from the first three Dio albums, so they're going out on tour now in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's been a little hard to pin down, but we've got we've got yeah. Jeff on the case trying to yeah trying to work Vinnie for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So Jeff, well, again. You know, please say hey to Vinny for me when you do finally track him down. And okay, we will. Um, we'll do. Yeah, because I'd worked with uh, Carmine before that on the Blue Murder. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We just uh, talked to Carmine so, about probably four weeks ago. We talked to Carmine. Yeah. Oh right on. <laughs> now, m- m- Mike, that, that's a, that's another album that you know a lot of people yeah. love to death, and it's like, why did that not? Be, become a, a massive success because it had everything in place there. It came out in the right year. It had John yep. Sykes on it, who'd written 1987 with David Coverdale, and that sold a gazillion yep. copies. And it, it just never, never happened. Yeah. Well, in my mind, you know, kind of what screwed up there is uh, we never did find a singer for it. So John says, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll sing it myself. And he's a pretty good singer. Yeah. It was, I, go, I won't fault him for singing, but I think it would have done way better if we had got. A singer on it. Yeah, was there any singers lined up? I heard a rumor that Ray Gillum was one of them. Is that true? There, we had a million of them sort of lined up, but okay. nothing, nothing got to the point where we got anybody in the studio to. And John just decided I'll do it. Yeah, because it went on for months and months and months and months, and finally I flew down to LA and said, "Look, let's just get on with this." Yeah, I think like John <laughs> is know? John is no slouch singing. He's a very good singer. No, no, he's great. Yeah. I think it would have just taken on a slightly different personality had he had someone to bounce off of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. And some of those songs probably would have benefited from somebody that had just a little more range at their disposal. So that maybe not singing up at an upper range all the time, but just to be able to occasionally get into something and hit that oddball yeah. high note not here and then just to just to kind of change the overall song up a bit yeah yeah or just when you've got a singing chop you know john's mm. got a great writing chop and he can sing it but you know if he if you were a singer you might have just phrase that a little bit differently or like you said just done a little bit different note yeah yeah. Than, yeah yeah now, now you, you yeah. were you worked on the second album mike didn't you nothing but trouble uh yeah we did the, the first two yeah, did, how much how much of the, that album did Carmine and Tony Franklin actually play on? Uh, a lot of a lot nothing of it. But, nothing, nothing, nothing but trouble. Yeah, or, yeah, nothing but trouble. Did, did they play on uh, a lot of it or just uh, one or two tracks? I would tracks? say yeah, a lot of it or most of it. Yeah. Okay. No, it's just yeah, it's just that when I've got the CD and it's got Kelly Keeling and Marco and all these guys in the picture and it just has additional uh, musicians, right. Tony and Carmine. So I didn't realize how 
I didn't realize how many tracks they actually played on, you know, so. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah, I can't remember that part. Because, yeah, Nothing But Trouble, that was the record John did at his house. Okay. So I don't think I did a lot of the recording of that one. Okay. I think I just mixed it. Oh, oh, so okay. it could be, you could be right, yeah. So before we let you go, Mike, um, is there any, you know, do you have like any kind of a website or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that for people that are, you know, listening to this and going, ah, oh, I just, I want to know more about that guy. Is there anything out there like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, my website is uh, com, and that's uh, M-I-K-E-F-R-A-S-E-R-Mix.com. Mike at com. So there you go, guys. If you want to keep track of everything happening in the world of Mike Frazier, I guess that's, that is the place to go. So cool. Yeah, it's got credits and some audio and all that. Cool. You'll probably find me on Facebook, but I'm not on there much. I'm more old school guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. I don't want people Mike. to know when I'm eating my pizza and yeah, my yeah. beer and all that kind of <laughs> <laughs> Mike, that, that's all done on Twitter now. <laughs> oh, is it? What the hell is Twitter? No. <laughs> exactly. yeah, I, hear, I hear you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right, Mike. Um, hey, well, do me a favor. Um, yeah, get, uh, shoot me your all your guys' contact info and an email to me, and uh, and uh, if I get out your way, I'd love love to meet up and have a beer or something with you. Sure, right? absolutely. Love, I, love I would, to do that. Of course, if we do that, and and Richie's sitting there with, he's going to glaze over because we're going to start talking about like production stuff and. Yeah, <laughs> he always, always, like, he always uh, glazes over whenever I start talking gear. <laughs> yeah, it, once, once, once Scott gets as long as, as long as as long as they're doing it at a Sox game, I don't care. Yeah, once once, <laughs> once Scott gets technical, now I'm out of here. <laughs> awesome! Well, it's been a blast, Mike. It's been yeah, it's, it's been great, Mike. It's been super. It's so it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank cool. you for making this so so easy. No, no uh, problem. Hopefully, we can have you on again sometime. Sure. Yeah, awesome. we'll stay in touch for sure. All right, Mike. Thanks Great. very much. Thanks. Have a good rest okay, of the day, Mike. Mike. All right, no problem. All right, you, All right. you too. Bye. 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 So there you go. Our interview with the one and only Mike Frazier. Hope this episode of Strange Highways Exit 4, continuing on with, you know, all the great feedback we had and everyone, you know, appreciates this one as much and um, still got a few more to go. Yeah, we've probably Scott Warren next, I think. Probably, yep. And Not then, next week, but no. we'll probably do Scott next, yep. And then the tour the touring bands after that. Yeah, yeah. To round it off. So definitely Strange Highways Project continues and hope you guys enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed continuing to bring it to you. Mm-hmm. So with that, Scott. And Richie. Saying have yourselves a good metal week. And remember. Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. You still here? It's over. Go home.